Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Good friends, on this rainy Friday morning at our nation's capital, around 8.30 in the morning, welcome, welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's roundtable. Well, nobody knows why, but the House is off on a two-week break, which kind of slowed things down here in Washington this week, but there was still a lot happening on the political front. Nikki Haley, or George Bush in heels, as Marjorie Taylor Greene calls her, officially took the plunge, becoming the first Republican to officially announce that she's running against Donald Trump for the Republican nomination in 2024, even though she once promised she would never do that. Meanwhile, Joe Biden spent yesterday at Walter Reed, apparently getting his doctor's permission to run again. The Senate was rocked by two moves this week. As expected, California's Dianne Feinstein announced that she will not run for re-election in 2024. And something nobody expected, Pennsylvania's newly elected John Fetterman checked into Walter Reed, admitting that he was suffering from clinical depression. And here's the big news. We've gone almost a week without shooting down another balloon. Well, here to make some sense of it all for us, Sudeep Reddy, Senior Managing Editor from Politico. Hi, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. Maya King, Politics Reporter for the New York Times, covering the South, uh, Southern States. Hello, Maya. Hi, Bill. And Igor Babish, Senior Politics Reporter for HuffPost. Hello, Igor. Hey, Bill. So she is off and running, announcing this week uh, she's going to challenge Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. Maya, this is your territory, former governor of South Carolina. Um, I've seen people raising the question, is she like really a uh, the comet that's going to be a serious candidate or just a up and down falling star? What's, her, <laughs> what's your take? You've seen her up close. I would say I see her as neither at this point, but more of a litmus test for where the Republican base is, is and where it might be going. Um, one thing that's interesting that that was reported about her first campaign launch was that unlike a lot of Republican events um, of the last few years, what you did not see were lots of MAGA hats, lots of uh, heavy handed digs at Joe Biden and at the media, lots of uh, sort of raucous and um, and almost anti-lowercase democratic behavior at her event. It was a lot more muted. And just it seemed that she was sort of going for a more civil approach to politics. It's hard, though, to figure out exactly what lane she's trying to carve out. We saw on Thursday that she tried to go to the right um, of Governor Ron DeSantis on uh, curriculums in school as they relate to gender, saying that that shouldn't start until middle school, um, talking about gender in schools rather than 
I think, in an elementary school where Governor DeSantis is saying it should start. Um, these are all little things, but I think that's just what we're paying attention to since she is the first person to throw her hat in the ring um, outside to challenge President Trump. I am interested to see what her appeal to voters outside of South Carolina is going to be and what lane she ends up carving out for herself that's clear enough that um, perhaps it gives her some steam. But also one thing that she and others are going to have to really be mindful of is not splitting this sort of anti-Trump lane and then just handing the nomination to him, to, to the former president yet again. Well, that big question is, okay, what's the difference between you and Donald Trump, right? Why you over Donald Trump uh, is one that Sean Hannity asked her uh, this week. Uh, Sudeep, let's listen up and get your take on uh, whether she clearly shows that difference. Here, here's that little exchange. If you had to delineate where, say, you and President Trump differ on issues, where would you start? The thought of me getting into the race makes the liberals' heads explode. And so I welcome it because it shows we're doing something right. You know, when it comes to what we're looking at now, listen to the first 20 minutes of your show. Look at everything that's wrong in this country and tell me we don't need new leadership. But the difference is we need new generational leadership. We have to leave the status quo. We have to leave this chaos behind. And we've got to start talking about the future. Hmm. Sudeep, I think I, my follow-up would have been, you didn't answer the question. Well, absolutely. <laughs> Look, th th four years ago, we, we heard a, a, a clown car of Democrats saying we need generational change uh, in politics, and we ended up uh, with, uh, with the oldest <laughs> member uh, running uh, in the pool as president. And so that, that's kind of the, the same challenge that, that Nikki Haley has right now. When I, I saw her formally announce, I just kind of shrugged and said, hey, why not? Like, what does she have to lose right now? Um, she clearly has not gotten a Trump nickname uh, in her first 48 hours. So um, she's she's doing doing something right. He's obviously not taking her seriously. And um, that that might uh, that might create an opening for her to do some grassroots work and and be prepared if Trump stumbles in some other way or gets indicted uh, along the way and and that becomes a, a problem but um, it's you look at the entire field of a dozen potential Republican candidates and you think okay well this would make an interesting cabinet for somebody who wins <laughs> uh, but it's it's hard to see any of them uh, emerging in this kind of political climate. Well, uh, Igor, one of the things that she proposed in her announcement, uh, part of her platform is mandatory uh, mental or physical mental test health testing, brother, for any candidate over 75 running for office. Uh, any doubt who she was <laughs> talking about? She didn't mention any names. Well, clearly <laughs> it was aimed at Trump because he is 75 years old. But, you know, that would that would encapsulate a lot of people. Biden, obviously, um, People on Capitol Hill, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Grassley, who are all above that age. You know, Lindsey Graham made a wisecrack after I mentioned this to him um, a couple days ago, saying that, you know, he doesn't think the, the limit should be 75. It should be a lot lower. It should be for anybody who's stupid enough to enter a presidential <laughs> race. Um, so he should, he should know, right? <laughs> he should know. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, listening to her speech, I think. This call for a mental test may have been the only um, policy of substance that differentiated her from Trump. I, I don't think she mentioned anything really new there. 
her her really her argument boils down to a generational one, but substance wise, I think that may have been it. And uh, obviously, I don't think it was a serious one. So, Igor, just to stick with you there for a second, you mentioned Lindsey Graham at one at one time not so long ago. There was speculation about several Republican senators who would run uh, in this primary. Uh, it doesn't look like it's turning out that way, right? Isn't Tim Scott the only one who's actually making any moves right now? Yeah, I think he he may be getting ready to to announce. At least he's you know he gave a speech in mm-hmm. Iowa and and he's going to um, South Carolina as well. But, um, but I, Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham, you know, yeah, Josh Hawley. All, I would say they're all holding their their fire. I don't know if they've they've fully ruled it out, but at the moment they're they're seeing what the field is is um, going to develop like before jumping in. Rick Scott has said he's only running for re-election um, after getting mauled by both President Biden and Mitch McConnell over his plan. So I think I think people are still in the wait and see mode. Right. Well, Maya, one um, aspect of her announcement, which has gotten some attention, is the pastor that she chose and invited to give the uh, to open with a prayer uh, at her event down in South Carolina. Uh, he's from San Antonio, John Hagee, who is about as far right as you can get among the TV preachers. Um, he once uh, he called the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage, uh, making this a country of Sodom and Gomorrah. He also at one time sent that God sent Hitler to help Jews reach the promised land. And here is this extreme right-wing preacher giving this invocation. Not only that, Nikki Haley praising him. Here she is. I've got to give a shout out to the people who took the podium before me. Um, To Pastor Hagee, I still say I want to be you when I grow up. Thank you. So, Maya, the point you were making, is she trying to appease the right without being herself too far to the right? Or this is, I mean, this certainly says something about her campaign. It does. And, and I'll also say that Hagee was a staunch, staunch Trump supporter. So it felt uh-huh. also like maybe she was trying to make a play for for that lane. And I think if you are a Republican, regardless of, um, of which lane you find yourself in or are trying to find yourself in, you have to make a play for for evangelical Christians. I mean, that's just one of the most important voting blocks now on the right. However, John Hagee is a choice, um, and is I think one of the more extreme leaders of um, of that 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 part of the base. I don't know. It's it's really hard to see again, sort of where Nikki Haley is is trying to um, trying to to be and what lane she's trying to occupy. I also think about the fact that she was on the trail um, with a few events for Herschel Walker late last year. And a lot of people sort of scratched their heads in Georgia politics saying, okay, is she trying to run for president? Is that why she's here with this really flawed candidate? Or is she just trying to get to know sort of the grassroots base um, outside of South Carolina? And there she even had a really, really significant, um, I I think you could call it like a, a flub in what she said in suggesting that Raphael Warnock should be deported. Um, so I, I'm going to put that comment in the same bucket with the I want to be you when I grow up to John Hagee <laughs> comment, because these are the things that, that just end up piling up when you're running for president that get you the questions when you're on the trail. But it is right. certainly interesting. Meanwhile, uh, Sudeep, President Biden, uh, annual checkup out to Walter Reed uh, yesterday. And uh, when he left, the White House doctor released a statement saying the president was healthy and vigorous 
and fit to successfully execute the duties of the presidency. Uh, any doubt this is <laughs> making the case for 2024? You know, I was waiting for Joe Biden to to, to send out a tweet, person, woman, man, camera, TV, um, with uh, with Donald Trump's uh, famous famous uh, test for, for mental acuity uh, <laughs> as part of his physical. We didn't get that. Um, there's really no doubt in my mind that that Joe Biden is preparing uh, to, to run, like something really devastating would have to happen for him not to do that. Um, this is all the the perfect lead up. He feels like he's got a, a, a great economy and he does. There are obviously some risks with the war, but um, you can't look at, at you can't have have decided in 2016 not to run, have Trump win, beat him in 2020, and then decide you're going to shrug your shoulders and say, eh, not interested in 2024. It just doesn't make any sense. And so Biden will probably in the next uh, two or three months making it be making it very clear that he is running. Right. Um, Igor, what kind of support for Biden to run again do you hear from Senate Democrats privately? Well, privately, people are a lot more, um, I will say, uh, they have concerns, obviously, as does anybody who has eyes, whether he's going to um, be able to go the distance um, in, not just in two years, but let's say he gets reelected and, uh, you know, in another mm -hmm. six years. Yeah. Um, when he gets, if he does get real, win reelection, he'll be 82, which is, again, um, you know, Diane Feinstein is 89 right now, and she's not showing uh she, she's showing signs of uh of, of questionable um reason to still be in the senate let's say so mm -hmm. i think i think the concern is real um but, but at the moment I, I don't think the party has any other options um as you get us to the senate or the senate so um let's talk about the news out of the senate um this week we saw uh yesterday um, something we've never seen before, I don't believe, uh, with an elected politician, member of the Senate or Congress, uh, a politician admitting that he is uh, suffering from clinical depression and needs some help and checking himself in to Walter Reed. Maya, uh, this, this is extraordinary, right? Just the fact that this should happen and he'd be so open about it. What do we think of this? It is because, you know, as you point out, he's at least one of the first senators ever to check himself in for for evaluation for mental health. But he's certainly not one of the first senators to have mental health issues and to struggle with this. Um, one thing that I immediately thought of was just the sensitivity with which we will have to cover this um, yeah. as members of the press, because it's not I mean, this is sort of a rarity. And um, but it's something that a lot of people, a lot of Americans are are dealing with, especially after a, an ongoing pandemic um, that really ravaged a lot of people's mental health. On top of that, I think Senator Fetterman has challenged a lot of reporters to be more sensitive in how you talk about physical health and how you write about it, considering the fact that he had a stroke last year. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a lot here, but I think the main thing is just hoping that really he, he recovers. Um, this has been a really trying year for him, not just for his health, but also for what has been a really grueling uh, campaign for Senate. And I think, um, you know, the more it's, it's been very encouraging to see a lot of politicians and a lot of his colleagues in the Senate actually come forward to support him 
and even start talking about their own struggles with this. I hope that it encourages more conversation just around the realities um, of mental health and mental illness and the fact that it's not really, hopefully this doesn't stigmatize, this ends the stigma um, around seeking help for those challenges and maybe even get some policy, some policy done on these things. Yeah. So the the only parallel maybe I can think of is Betty Ford when she was open about breast cancer, right? Something that a lot of people just didn't, obviously a lot of women are suffering from, but people didn't talk about. The same thing with clinical depression, right? So this could be a a turning moment, right? And Americans admitting that this is a problem a lot of people have and we need to deal with it. It it, uh, it can be, and I hope it is. It's it's an opportunity, and you've seen a number of of uh, senators. It should have been uh, ninety nine of them. It wasn't, but it it was dozens who actually spoke up and 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 spoke out about how important it was to to treat um, depression and and other uh, mental health challenges in in this way. And so um, th- this will uh, unfortunately ov- obviously be overshadowed by questions about the. The, the Senate and the makeup of the Senate and the 51-49 split, but um, the opportunity here is for, for Senator Fetterman to, to come come through this and speak openly and actually um, connect with the American people about something that affects every family in America in some way um, and, and talk through it in a way that can be instructive and actually inspirational. Yeah. Well, inspirational already, just I, I believe, to uh, admit it. And say, oh yeah, this is. <laughs> I've had this problem for a long time, and now it's pretty serious, and I got to do something, do something about it. Um, Igor, at the, so the this is one of our newest senators checking into Walter Reed for depression. At the same time this week, the oldest United States senator, Senator Dianne Feinstein, announced, "I'm going to hang it up. Not going to run for re-election." Uh, not unexpected, Igor. Right but still having will have quite an impact on the Senate. Tell us what you hear. Yeah, we had we had a good sense that this is what she was going to do, just, just based on the signs that she wasn't raising any money, uh, for example, or um, uh, throwing up any uh, roadblocks to her prospective successors getting in the race uh, uh, to replace her. So uh, it was widely expected and I think that um, she has a momentous legacy in California. She's the longest-serving California senator, the longest-serving woman senator from California, with this uh, uh, huge legacy on on environmental issues, on on guns, of course, passage of the assault weapons ban, on LGBTQ rights. So uh, a long record to look back on, and and um, she's not going to be stepping down until the end of 2024. Now, there have been questions, of course, about her mental acuity and her ability to serve. So um, that's something to watch going forward, given that she's still going to be around for, for a couple more years. And, you know, talking to her in the halls is always a little bit of a gamble. You don't know if she's going to be quite prepared for your question or not. She's got aides with her helping her. Um, this is just all things that we've seen with with other senators as well in the past who get to be this age. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that... Um, her 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 long record, her big legacy. This is this is a little bit of a uh, may have I don't want to say tarnished, but you know, going out with a with a uh, the best way possible. I, I don't know if this was it, uh, given given her long record in the Senate. But I think that um, people still appreciate a lot what she what she has accomplished. 
Uh, and already, Maya, we're seeing, um, even before she announced she was not going to run again, um, a lot of uh, action in terms of who would step up. Uh, so far, Adam Schiff, uh, congressman, has announced uh, that he is running. Katie Porter uh, from Orange County was the first one to announce that she's running and expected uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, she has said she's going to make an announcement before the end of this month, which is Black History Month. Uh, so this could be, and I, I believe, Maya, you would agree, whoever wins the Democratic primary will be the next senator from California, most likely. <laughs> yes, most likely. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, this is one of those moments where uh, I will be watching from afar with much interest since California is certainly not the South. But it is really great to see these three different, um, I guess, lanes of the Democratic Party uh, all sort of competing against each other, where in Schiff, you have more of a, of a centrist um, and an establishment candidate, Porter, obviously occupying more of the progressive lane, as is Barbara Lee. But I think the big argument for, for Congresswoman Lee here is the fact that the Senate has not had um, a black woman in its ranks since uh, since Kamala Harris left to, to then run for vice president. And um, I, I think it'll give us a sense of, of where Democratic voters might be. Um, but California is also a, kind of a unique state in its politics. I don't know. I'm, I am very curious to see how this pans out and also to get a, a clearer sense um, of what these candidates' messages are going to be outside of who they're aligned with um, and sort of who they represent within the party. Uh, and um, by the way, I should have mentioned uh, Ro Khanna, Congressman Ro Khanna, uh, is also considering jumping in and very well may. Uh, it's very, it's not often that a Senate seat opens up in California. Look how long it's been <laughs> since Dianne Feinstein um, ha has been there. But Sudeep, overall, this may not change the makeup of the of the Senate in terms of numerically, right? But still, um, California senator is a big deal. It is a, a big deal, and and the 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 views of Californians often shape uh, the the views in Washington decades later. Um, and so it's it's an important voice. Um, it's obviously an enormous state. It's going to be an expensive uh, primary, and um, I think we will see coming out of this one of the the leading lawmakers for decades to come um, in in Washington. Uh, take take shape here and so it's it's a, a fascinating moment it's a, a race i think everyone across the country will, in politics will be watching very closely because it has this this uh this this effect on on our larger politics right yeah and i, I have to say um my uh, column for today which uh well, yesterday which has already been uh tweeted out i mentioned there i first met senator feinstein myself i've known her a long time um, but I met her long before I became California Democratic chair. I met her actually in her first run for her office in San Francisco. She was running for the Board of Supervisors, and I was running a campaign against her. <laughs> uh, but she and I became friends and have been friends uh, uh, ever since. She went on to win that election, uh, becoming president of the Board of Supervisors, and then, of course, became uh, mayor when George Moscone uh, was assassinated. And I think... Uh, in, in addition 
to all of her legislative accomplishments, which Igor mentioned, uh, equally important is the role model that she's been for women in this country uh, across the board, not only proving that women can run for top elective office and win, but also once they get there, they can do the job uh, better as well as, if not better than any man who has the job. So I think that will be her uh, lasting legacy in the United States Senate. Uh, and with that, let's take a quick break and get, uh, when we come back and see the rest of the talk about the rest of the news from Washington this week with today's panel, Igor Babish from HuffPost, Maya King from The New York Times, Sudeep Reddy from Politico here on today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. Today, I'd like to remind you again and urge you again, uh, boy, we still see every day these incredible pictures of that earthquake that hit Tur uh, Turkey and Syria, the just massive destruction, and then these unbelievable stories about people rescued from this rubble uh, here a week or 10 days later, and right on the scene is World Central Kitchen of Jose Andres, serving over a million meals since that earthquake hit that area. Uh, they do such great work. Any catastrophe, any disaster on the planet and World Central Kitchen are the first ones on the scene. So check out their website, wck.org. Um, the pictures I saw this morning of these kids lining up for their hot meals there in Turkey uh, it just really stirs your heart and makes you want to give as much as you can. WCK.org. Check it out and be as generous as you can to help the work of Jose Andres and his great team at World Central Kitchen. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, we're back with today's roundtable. Today's roundtable, uh, taking a look at the news of this past week. Uh, with Igor Babish from senior politics reporter from HuffPost, Maya King, who covers the Southern States political reporter for the New York Times and managing editor of Politico, senior managing editor, uh, Sudeep Reddy. Well, the biggest political battle that's going on these days 
uh, may be not between uh, Joe Biden and Republicans in the Senate, but Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott. <laughs> so here is uh, the president, however, pointing out uh, that Rick Scott, maybe until this morning, is still planning on sunsetting Medicare and Social Security, President Biden. By the way, we're on the topic of Medicare. Senator Rick Scott from Florida is a little bit in hot water right now <laughs> because his plan is to sunset Medicare and Social Security, Both, meaning if you don't reauthorize them every five years, they go out of existence. Sunset them. They'll go away. And here's Rick Scott's response to this. He said, I'm cutting prescription drug costs. That means I'm cutting Medicare. Where has he been? I think he's a little confused. So, Zadeep, uh, Joe Biden's not the only one who's taken Rick Scott on this. So has Mitch McConnell. It uh, It is the perfect opening for anybody who wants to take on Rick Scott. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, and there, are, there are probably a lot more uh, out there. Um, the and, and, of course, uh, Rick Scott has now amended his his 12-point his plan, uh, saying that it does not apply to Social Security, Medicare, or the Navy. So uh, <laughs> sorry to the Army, the Air Force, the Marines, <laughs> all the other branches, but Social Security and Medicare and the Navy are safe. Uh, this actually, uh, this, lots of states have sunset laws. There would have been a way for Rick Scott to have walked through this and explain it and actually get some attention. And now it's just turned into farce. Um, it wasn't a great path. He had a narrow path, but now it's, it's basically gone. And uh, now uh, he and other Republicans have walked into Joe Biden's trap here, um, because once you start talking about individual programs, uh, you you start talking about all of them, and uh, and that's just just uh, kind of a mess. Um, the the feud between uh, Mitch McConnell and 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 Rick Scott is is kind of the the kind of intra-Senate uh, Republican warfare we don't get to see very often. Um, it'll be a, a sideshow in the Senate, not at a at a level of George Santos, but uh, but still something to watch. Um, because it's it's the simmering things that uh, that ultimately pop up in the most surprising ways later. Yeah, Igor, you talk to these people every day. I mean, it seems to me this is real between Mitch McConnell and and, and Rick Scott, right? It's it's personal, and uh, it's not going to be easy to, to just disappear. Yeah, I mean, Rick Scott has been um, a thorn in McConnell's side for a while now, and I think it's. It's um, their differences right. aren't aren't just of substance on this plan. They're, it's more of style of of um, the way that Mitch McConnell runs the caucus and the way that uh, Rick Scott and other conservatives think that he should be running the caucus uh, more aggressively, more in your face uh, against the Democrats. So I, I think that um, these fissures are, are have gotten to be really huge. Um, and we saw that with the challenge to, to McConnell's leadership uh, a couple months ago that uh, Rick yep. Scott and others had, had uh, mounted. Right. Uh, but this, um, yeah, and Mitch has said, he, I think he said this week that Rick Scott's plan is going to make it difficult for him to get reelected in Florida, right, <laughs> uh, Igor, which is almost like saying, I hope somebody runs against him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, perhaps. Uh, and you know, there's a good reason why Rick Scott has not jumped into the, the presidential race after after um, showing all indications that he was interested in it, you know, running these national ads 
on his plan. And I think it's really um, indicative of, of the way this is blown up in his face. Um, him, him unwilling to uh, back down up until, up until this morning when he amended mm-hmm. this plan, he was really kept doubling right. down on it and uh, invited Biden to go debate him down in Florida and causing all these <laughs> <Right>. uh, headlines. <laughs> so I, I think it's, his plan has been a, a really big gift to Biden and the Democrats who have been, wailing on him over this. Uh, it's it's not been good for him. Yeah. But I might point out, as Sadiq did, when you say, okay, no, 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 Medicare and Social Security and the Navy, now we're taking those off the table. Yeah, but what about <laughs> all the other armed forces and what about every other government program, which he says is going to sunset uh, in five years, a plan that's obviously going nowhere. There's one other um, substantive debate among Republicans, um, Maya, uh, and that is the issue of Ukraine. We remember when he was running for speaker, Kevin McCarthy said there's not going to be any blank check for Ukraine. We're going to – and Marjorie Taylor Greene has been out there saying we shouldn't be giving all this money uh, to Ukraine. Uh, Mitch McConnell spoke about this yesterday, <clears throat> making no doubt where he stands. Well, I'm going to try to help explain to the American people that defeating the Russians in Ukraine – is the single most important event going on in the world right now. It will save us an enormous amount of money down the road if the Ukrainians can succeed. There should be a bipartisan support for this. My biggest criticism of the president is he seems not to have done enough soon enough. Well, of course, he gets at the slam in there uh, at Joe Biden, but he's really talking about some members of his party, uh, isn't he, Maya? He is. And again, showing a little bit more daylight between himself and, and the, the far right faction of the of the party, or at least, yeah, the Marjorie Taylor Greens um, of of his party. I think it's um, but I think it's a view that's shared by most establishment centrist longtime members uh, of Congress, both Democrats and Republicans, that the uh, help and assistance that they provide to Ukraine is sort of a proxy now for protection of democracy globally. Um, and now we're heading into next week, what will be the one year anniversary of, yeah. of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So all of these comments um, are only amplified, amplified by that and whatever this next phase of the war will be. Right. Uh, yeah, this is um, debate, it seems to me, is going nowhere and that there will be still overwhelming support for continuing America's um, strong support of Ukraine and maybe even sending them fighter planes, but we'll see where that goes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to uh, make an executive decision about ending the round table without talking about George Santos this week, <laughs> although we could <laughs> tell Santos jokes as well, but I can't uh, let you go without asking about, I've never seen anything like this. Yesterday, the president holds a news conference to say, yeah, we shot down three things in the air, but we still don't know what the hell they were or why we shot them down. Sadiq, this whole balloon thing has sort of gotten out of hand, hasn't it? You know, I'm I'm just going to say this is my story of the week of all the things that happened. <laughs> it is so good. Um, it has obviously gotten out of hand. It, it got out of hand early on with the with the Chinese balloon, but now everything that's up in the air suddenly becomes a, a threat. And the thing that I I really love about this story is uh, we don't know for sure yet, but uh, when 
the uh, when the hobby group that comes out and says this might have been my balloon. It's the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, um, nibbb.org, I believe. Um, their their hobby club and these balloons I, I I've seen cost somewhere between twelve dollars and one hundred and eighty dollars uh, to send up into the air uh, and they've got these these fantastic maps of these things floating around. We don't know for sure whether it is, but if it is, it's really such a great story that the U.S. military sent a four hundred thousand dollar heat seeking missile uh, <laughs> and the most elite special forces to go and and try to find the remains of this little hobby balloon in the water and struggling to do it. And if you look into this organization, um, one of the, I think the youngest member is 11 or 12 years old, and he is going to have <laughs> the best college admission essay of anybody uh, when the time comes in a few years, because uh, boy, what a story. I, I, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, Igor, one of the reasons that the president spoke to the nation yesterday about this is because he was getting a lot of pressure from Republicans in Congress, right, who said the president has to speak to the nation about this threat to our national security. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason why he shot this thing down is because people were calling on him to shoot it down, at least the initial yeah. balloon. Yeah, right. And um, now that, uh, you know, these successive objects were shot down, a lot of the people in Congress who were saying we've got to shoot this thing down started saying, well, wait a minute, we don't know what it is. And, you know, we've got to be more careful about what we're shooting down. So a lot of this is just politics at play. Uh, but it is stunning how um, the entire country, or at least our, uh, our leaders, have gotten whipped up into a, into a frenzy over this thing that uh, by, by the, the Defense Department's uh, admissions pose no real threat to, to uh, mm -hmm. our national security. Right. Yeah, and uh, and we've also learned that there are apparently thousands of these balloons, you know, up there by all different kinds of organizations. Some of them scientific, or and as Igor, I mean, Sudi pointed out, some of them just um, balloon enthusiasts, right? Which are no threat uh, at all. Well, Maya, I don't know if you want to add to this. It it was shot down off the coast of South Carolina. That's your territory. So. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. local angle uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> in the in the, the warm waters off of, off the coast of South Carolina. But I think um, I think your 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 point just before is the one that I was going to make, which is there's all kinds of stuff in the air up there above us. Um, all different kinds of balloons, obviously aircraft even different kinds of birds. Um, and just the New York times actually wrote a story about this this week saying, you know, it's, it can be difficult sometimes to figure out, you know, what is a threat and what isn't in these heightened moments. But as the president and other agencies have now pointed out, I mean, really what we saw over the last few weeks, the things that were shot down were just among, uh, those more mundane objects that have been floating around. Uh, okay. On that note, we solved at least one serious problem, <laughs> the, the balloon invasion. Uh, so a big thanks to uh, today's panel, Sudeep Reddy and Maya King and Igor Babish. All right, Sudeep, so um, you're going to make that your favorite story of the week? Is that for sure? I, I think it is. I, there's so many others, but I'm going to leave leave it at that one because it's really the best one that for, for, the, for the wild week that we've had. Uh, it is hard to top. That's for, that's for sure. But we won't let uh, Igor and Maya off the uh, hook that easily. Maya, what caught your attention this week, particularly? Sure. Um, so as I am 
physically based in New York for the next couple, the next few weeks. Uh, I'll be returning to Atlanta very soon and have been following some of the news on the ground there. And, and one story that caught my attention um, is this ongoing conflict between residents of Atlanta, lots of activists in the Atlanta city government over what has been deemed cop city which is this huge plot of land just on the outskirts of Atlanta that will be used uh, for police and other law enforcement agencies as, as training grounds and also places to have events, places for people to live. Um, it's hundreds of acres. The land that they're using is also um, being fiercely protected by environmental activists and, and, um, and those who are fighting for police reform or police abolition. And so uh, Capital B, which is a startup now based in Atlanta, it's about a year old, has written a story about um, the residents who live around this land uh, that has not yet, the ground has not been broken yet where they've started building uh, this, this area. Um, but there recently was a shooting between activists and police where one person died in Ooh. trying to actually protect the land that, that is around there. It's a really complicated situation, but I thought that, the, this reporter uh, with Capital B, Madeline Thigpen, did a very good job of sort of distilling what this means for the folks who live around this area. The, the title is who, is, who is Cop City for? Residents living near the site aren't so sure. Cop City, is that what they're calling it, huh? Yeah. Yes. All mm -hmm. right. I hadn't heard of that before. Keep our eye on that. Uh, and Igor, your favorite story of the week? Uh, so mine would have to be... Uh, one of Maya's colleagues at the Times had, had written a story about uh, the new AI that Microsoft's mm. <laughs> Bing software is using. And it was just kind of just really weird and creepy that this, in a conversation with this AI bot, apparently uh, it had expressed the desire to be alive and, um, you know, become sentient and really started saying creepy things about this reporter's marriage and uh, <laughs> asking him if he was happy at home and just a really bizarre thing to be talking about with a, with a AI bot. And, and I'm just, you know, have we not seen enough movies about where this is going to go? This is just really, really disturbing <laughs> about um, a Terminator level uh, extinction event that we can throw ourselves into. It is freaky. And uh, for all of you friends at home, uh, who want to know more about that, just look at today, the front page of today's New York Times, uh, Igor. The entire conversation uh, is is uh, quoted here, at least large excerpts from it. So uh, check out the today's New York Times. Uh, well, I'm going <laughs> to uh, just go down to the uh, uh, absolutely kind of um, let's get back to food. That's what we all really all care about. That's my favorite story of the week. I, I saw this. This So there's a food delivery service called Slice, believe it or not. Guess what they deliver at home? They deliver pizza. And did, they did a survey on what is up and what is down in terms of pizza toppings this year. Um, up in more demand than ever before. Uh, I was uh, kind of stunned to see. Mushrooms are up like 9%, mushroom toppings. Ranch dressing is uh, really very more popular than ever before. And the number one kind of pizza that's the most popular today is toppings with pickles. Pickle 
pizza. I cannot imagine anything more disgusting. I couldn't believe it, but that's the number one seller today. What is down among pizza choices, I think you'll be all glad to hear, is pineapple. At least I was glad to hear that. I've uh, never liked pineapple on top of my pizza. Good news, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll still go with uh, good old-fashioned pepperoni or a margarita pizza. Uh, no pickles for me, for sure. But uh, anyhow, just thought that was interesting. I don't know what it says about America's taste, Amer- taste of Americans, but uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to follow the lead for pickles. And that's it for today's roundtable. A big thank you to Sadiq Brady from Politico, Maya King from The New York Times, and Igor Babish from HuffPost. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody. And then we invite you back for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod with a very special guest on Tuesday. We'll be talking with Energy Secretary Jennifer Jennifer Granholm, one of the stars of President Biden's cabinet, a very important agency with a lot even more responsibilities these, these days uh, with the Infrastructure Bill and the Inflation Reduction Act, which puts a whole big focus on climate change and clean energy, all of which come under the jurisdiction of the Department of Energy. And we will ask Jennifer Granholm whether or not she's going to take away our gas stoves. All of that coming up on Tuesday. Again, have a great weekend. We'll see you next next week on Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod with Jennifer Granholm. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.